We're going to finish tonight. I promised you guys we'd finish the book of Joshua tonight. So we are definitely going to be able to do that. Let's start in chapter 20 tonight. So last week, as you guys will remember, we've, um, most of the conquering in the book of Joshua has um, completed. And so now we're in the phase where they are um, dividing the land. And, and they're dividing the land in several different ways. But one of the ways is they are dividing it and based on lots. And one of the, the procedures that they used was they would cast lots. Now, the interesting thing about casting lots is that you don't see the practice of casting lots anywhere in the New Testament. Um, the, the apostles, in order to um, replace Judas... They did something similar to casting lots, but um, a, lot of, a lot of good Bible commentaries believe that, that they were in error by even doing that. And then, and then at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is given, there's no more need to cast lots anymore. It's not a practice that New Testament believers um, that we, we employ, but, but it was biblical. They had several different things actually before the, really before the canon and before the word of God and, and really before what we've been studying in Colossians, right? The, the mystery that, that, that's revealed, that Paul reveals in Colossians chapter 1. And that mystery, who knows, is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, now that those of you that didn't know, you're going to pretend like you did. The answer is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the mystery revealed is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that, that's New Testament. That's that God was going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And after that point, now it's the Holy Spirit who, who, who guides and leads us. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us direction. You can know God's will. Absolutely know God's will. You can know what God's plan is for your life. And nowhere does God um, want us to here on this side of the cross do those things. Gideon put out a fleece. Similar thing. A fleece was a, was a way to test God. You guys remember Gideon's fleece? When Gideon put out a, a, a group of cotton at night and he said, Lord, in the morning, make it so that the cotton is soaking wet. And he came out the next morning and the cotton was soaking wet. And then, and then he said, well, I don't know if that was really the Lord. Maybe it was just a science. Maybe it was just a chance. He said, okay, Lord, if it's you, then tomorrow make, it, make the cotton dry and all the ground all around it, all around it wet. And so he came out the next day and, and the cotton was dry and all the ground around it was wet. And so he put something out that he would use to test God. Um, casting lots would be either, you know, basically shortest straw type thing, throwing bones, some type of, some type of thing to divine. The priests had um, in their pouch, they had these black and white stones. You may remember what they were called? The umen, umen, and the thumen. The umen and the thumen, something like that. Umen and the thumen. And they would, they would reach in and jiggle them around, and, and, and then they would pull one out, black and white. And, and I don't exactly know. We're not really positive how, what, what they spoke, whether the white was, was no and the black was yes or vice versa, or they told some kind of story. But basically, the, the priest could ask a question of the umum and the thurum, and they would pull them out and, and divine that way. And so as Joshua was casting lots, that part of the, the, the thing was that, that it was random at times who got what. Now, Joshua made a specific um, request. And at the end of chapter 19, as you guys can see there in your margin, Joshua's inheritance, that Joshua got his specific request. Um, we know that somebody else, Caleb, do you remember Caleb? What was Caleb's specific request? He wanted to land where the giants were. Caleb was 85 years old, and he said, I'm as strong today as I was the day that we, we left Egypt at 40 years old, and I want the land where the giants were. And so he got that specific land. And then as the inheritance and the lots were cast, some of the folks, as you guys know, and I want us to remember this, that, um, and it's one of the concepts of Joshua to, to grasp, is that, is that the, God gave them the inheritance, but they still had to do what? They still had to conquer it. They still had to inherit it. They still had to possess their possessions is the term we've been using. Possess your possessions. And, and the purpose and the reason for that is, is because it's, it's not any different than um, your life and my life today. When I became a Christian, some of you guys know my testimony. I, I grew up um, single mom and eight brothers and sisters. And my brother sold drugs in the neighborhood. And um, I was really destined for... Uh, I think my sister, my, my sister right above me was the first one in our family to graduate high school and, um, and then go on to college. And then my sister and myself, the three youngest, 
all did pretty good. I, I barely managed to graduate high school, but I did. But by the time I was 20 years old, I was fully addicted to junk in my life. Blah, blah, blah. It just it was in a bad way. I didn't know Jesus. I didn't grow up going to church. I um, had a little experience going to church in junior high when um, a neighbor kid, a Christian family, lived down the street from me, and they invited us to come to church. And uh, so I had at Awana when I was in junior high and never went back in high school in 9th, 10th, 11th grade, 12th grade, never went back to church. And by the time I was 20 years old, I was in bondage to the world. And, and I got saved alone in my room at 20 years old. And so I was watching Dr. Charles Stanley on TV and, uh, you know, and just the whole strange turn of events. I, uh, I, uh, I, I asked Jesus in my heart alone in my room coming off of what I was in bondage to like the next day as I was sobering up. And, um, you know, back in those days, I'll just tell you a stupid story, but back in those days I would play, I was playing Sega Genesis, Madden 92, Chicago bears, Richard Dent coming off the edge. Um, I don't think it was Walter Payton coming out of the backfield. He was done by then. But, um, anyways, the TV had to be on channel three in those days. It wasn't an input. You turn your TV on channel three. And so I'm playing Xbox in my room and, um, and I, I turn it off for whatever reason, and it's on channel three, and I, and I take the remote, and I'm trying to get regular TV, and I got this little 13-inch, maybe 16-inch TV in my room, and um, I change the channel, and it goes from three to channel eight. Now, and when I was growing up, it was two, four, seven, 13, 11, but there was eight was like PBS or something, or KCCT or something, and it like skipped a bunch of channels and stopped on eight, and it was a preacher, and there's no way I would have ever stopped and actually listened to a preacher, especially in the condition I was in, the place I was in. And for whatever reason, you know, I started listening for a moment. And it was like four, five, six, seven minutes into it, I was enthralled. And it was like he was telling my life story to a T. Matter of fact, when it was over, I wanted to write him a letter. And, and like, you know, I knew better, but I'm like, who told this guy what was going on in my life? Who, how did he know exactly what was going on in my life. And I must have caught it right at the beginning because the message was about 40 minutes. And at the end, he said, if you want to ask Jesus in your heart to be your Lord and Savior, I want to lead you in a prayer through the TV. And I locked my hands like this. And by this time, I'm bawling and just waterworks are just coming down. And, and, and God's Holy Spirit was, was coming on me. And, and, and I, gave Jesus, I gave Jesus my heart that night. And as I was praying, he began to pray. And I put my hands up like this. And I was just, I was laying down there. And I, was just, and I asked Jesus to come into my life. And I know that night, alone in my room, that the power of the Holy Spirit came in my life and that God completely set me free from the bondage I was in. But I didn't walk in it. I possessed it. God gave it to me. I know I was delivered that night. And I know that was the last night I ever had to do anything of those things that I was in bondage to. But it, unfortunately, I didn't possess those possessions. And um, by the grace of God, my, my heart had changed. And, and I went through a period of about six months where I was kind of, you know, before I really... Um, really made a breakthrough and, you know, slowly but surely some of that bondage, some of the original bondage was gone, but some of it took a little bit longer where I didn't need it to. And it was like, I, I was set free, but I had this, I still had to possess it. I still had to walk in it. You know, I still had to, to, to possess the things that God, God gave me that night. And, you know, I wish I had a better testimony. We, about a year later, uh, I was living in Hemet. And the reason why I moved to Hemet was just part of the process that God was doing in my life. You know, God, I changed my surroundings, but you know, I always tell folks that you have to change your heart and then your surroundings will change. You can't change your surroundings to change your heart. I'd have been the same schmuck in, in another city if God wasn't working and changing my heart, but God had changed my heart. And then for me and for what God was doing, I needed to get out of where I was. And, and I got involved in that same Christian family that um, was my neighbors when I was in junior high that had the, the little bit of God that was in my life as a young person, they moved to Hemet. And that's how I ended up in Hemet was with that family that used to be my neighbors. And they, they, they just amazing, amazing, amazing family. Well, they had another, um, guy in their house and he was seven foot, two inches tall. His name's Glenn Hobbs. And he was our roommate for a while. And Glenn Hobbs was a, was a Satanist out of Idaho. Another story. And just before Glenn was sleeping in that room, they had another woman that they that they were uh, that God was um, working and they were reaching out to. And this woman was a heroin addict, and she she was at um, George and Roz's house, and she she told them she she was just at her wits end and was struggling, and she she went in her room that night and she said, "If there's a God, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll be I'll be free from heroin." She never touched heroin again in her life. 
woke up completely sober and never touched heroin again in her life to this day. And so, um, you know, there's other testimonies like that. And like I said, for me, unfortunately, I didn't, I didn't necessarily possess all those things in those early days. But the, the point of Joshua and point of, and, re, and this is all in context of Joshua, is that, that, that God gave them all this stuff, but they still had to go out and conquer it. Matter of fact, um, Joshua's going to say to them at one point, and I'm going to kind of try to jam through some of this. I'm not going to catch every verse and every line. But Joshua's going to say to them basically at one point, like, how long are you guys going to sit around and do nothing? When are you going to get out and take those things that God has given you? Okay, last, last little principle, and then I promise we'll get into this. Jesus said... I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So are you a member of God's church, of the church that Jesus is going to build? Are you or not? Are you not sure? Are you a member of the body of Christ? That's, that's the church that, that Jesus said he was going to build. And he said, for you then, he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Okay? But th- there's only one problem. How in the world does a gate prevail against you? Does a gate come out and attack you? When's the last time you've been attacked by a gate? When's the, the, he didn't say, I'll build my church and the swords of Satan will not prevail against you. I will build my church and, and the, the weapons of Satan will not prevail against you. He said, I will build my church and the gates of Satan will not prevail against you. A gate is a defensive weapon. The only way that a gate is going to prevail against the church of God is if the church does nothing and then the gate succeeds. But, but as Christians, we have to ram that gate. We, we have to go and attack the gates of hell. And as we do that, they will not prevail against us. And the only way that the gates of hell prevail is, it was, is when Christians do nothing, is when we do nothing, when we don't possess the land that God's, God's given us. You realize so many times in these battles that, that the nation of Israel and they, they were going to conquer in the land of Canaan, when they got there, did they fight? So many times they didn't have to fight. God, God fought for them. God delivered them before they got there. God confused the enemy and they killed each other and they showed up and they were all dead. But they had to step out. They had to, they had to step out into the battle and, and, and those that did and the times they did. And so in our lives, again, just a lesson that, that God has given us victory. God's given you victory over things in your life. And may, maybe for you today, Maybe you, you struggle with a mountain that you continue to go around. Maybe it's a mountain in your life that you've prayed. You've asked God to, you know, it's a struggle. It's a sin. It's something that you don't desire. It's something that God can't use in your life. And, and around and around and around and around and around the same mountain, you know. And, and how many times are we going to go around the same mountain? But, but listen, the victory is yours in, in Christ. God's given you the victory. You have to possess that victory. You have to walk in that victory. All right, chapter 20. We're going to do four chapters tonight and be done with this thing. So um, real quickly, only nine verses in chapter 20. Wow. Should I tell Jesus or are you going to tell him? He already seen it, so it's all right. Um, Hey, so real quick, the um, cities of refuge. So the Lord also spoke to Joshua saying, speak to the children of Israel, saying, appoint for yourself cities of refuge, which I have spoken to you through Moses, that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of the city that shall take him into the city as one of them and gave and give him a place that he may dwell among them. Then if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally, but he did not hate him beforehand. And he shall dwell in the city until, until he stands before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. So you can underline the high priest of those days. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city of his own house to the city which he which he fled. So they appointed and then he goes through the cities that he appointed um, in the end of the chapter. So basically, this was a part of the law of Moses that Joshua was going to flesh out that he's going to um, make happen. So in Israel, as Joshua conquered, basically what we see is he assigned six cities of refuge. And so there was three in the east and three in the west north, um, central, and south. And so pretty much anywhere in Israel that you were, you would be in a pretty safe distance to a a city of refuge. And so if somebody died and um, it was an accident, 
you could, you could flee to one of the cities of refuge. Now, maybe you and a buddy are cutting down trees and your axe head accidentally flies off and embeds in his forehead and, you know, and he's done. Well, um, the, the avenger of blood, just like we, you know, we have the, in the Bible, it was called the lex talionis, the, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And so we think that, you know, God prescribed that if somebody punches your eye, you got to punch their eye. But actually, the, the, in the law of Moses, the lex talionis or the, 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 the avenger of blood or the, you know, the, the retribution was actually intended to limit us, to limit you and I. Because nobody thinks that way, right? If somebody punches you in the eye or somebody knocks one of your teeth out, how are you going to respond? I'm going to knock 10 of their teeth out. You know, you punch me in one eye, I'm going to punch you in both eyes, and then I'm going to break your ribs. You know, like we, we are, are going to not just get even with them, but we're going to outdo them. And so the, the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, you know, as some might try to make it be, you know, God's intention for us to get even. It wasn't so much the case. It was more God again. And God is dealing with, as we've talked about a little bit, right, that God is dealing with um, a culture that, that, that's not a culture we live in today. It's an older culture. It's a culture that was slaves for 400 years and, and, and that is surrounded by pagans. So, so some of the, the heart of God that we see in the Old Testament, it's progressive, that God realizes that he meets the people where they are and he starts to bring them where he wants them to be. And, and that helps explain some of the things that um, we see in the law that God allowed and provided. But that was one of them. It was, and, and so there was culturally um, the avenger of blood. So if someone killed your brother, they didn't, they didn't necessarily have a, you know, a court of law and a, and a, and a court martial and a, you know, fire marshal bill that was going to come and um, it wouldn't have been the fire marshal bill, right? It would have been Sheriff John. And, and so you had in your family, in your tribe, you had somebody that was the avenger of blood that would go take care of it. So as soon as the death happened, the avenger of blood would be sent to find the guy that, you know, his ax came and he would kill him. And so the way the law of Moses was and is that they would go and to flee to a city of refuge. And there they would have a trial. And in the trial, if they were found innocent, they could stay in that city. It was really brilliant because if you left the city, you were out of the, you were only safe in the city of refuge. So even if you were found innocent, it wasn't like, okay, I'm innocent. I can go back to my work. No, the avenger of blood is still going to kill you. So you, you would stay in the city of refuge. You would live there then the rest of your life. Or not necessarily the rest of your life, as we looked at in verse 7. The rest of whose life? The high priest. And so the law of Moses, just like the year of Jubilee, what happened in the year of Jubilee? All the debts were erased. Every, all the land um, went back to its original owner. And so um, everything washed in the law of Moses. That way it would do away with commercialism. And that way Walmart wouldn't own everything. One company couldn't monopolize the market. And so every 50 years... Everything leveled out and started over. I saw a stat, t- uh, I think it was yesterday. And not, not that it matters. Well, not, it has nothing to do with what I'm saying. But it's like uh, 2017. Um, I forget what it is. But it's a world s- statistic. But I think it's like um, 2% of the world's population owns 97% of the world's wealth. Something like that. But it's pretty astronomical that... Most of the wealth is in, in one person's hands. And then it goes on to say that if you, if you redistributed all the wealth and everybody was exactly even, in 20 years, it would go back to like it is right now. It's how long it would take for people to invest and do, and the people that are going to do it are going to do it. And, and eventually it would all go back to where it originally started. It's just the way it goes. So there's no reason to redistribute all the wealth because then they'll just, people that are industrious and work hard or whatever, they're going to eventually get it all back. Walmart's just going to rebuild and we won't be able to compete with them anyways. So, hey, I thought it was, I thought it was kind of interesting. A couple things here. First of all, I just think the, the beauty of the fact that, that the, the murderer would stay in that city, even if he was innocent. And, and in a refuge city, you know, even in your regular societies now, was a way that God would, would clean things up. And people would, you know, and in those places they would stay and it would be other murderers, innocent or guilty together with other ones. And, you know, they would all stay there. And, um, you know, and then when the high priest died, which who knows, the high priest could have lived a long time, you know, it would have been like the Pope or the president or somebody dying and doesn't necessarily happen 
you know, every day. It happens sometimes once in a lifetime or once, twice maybe in your lifetime that the high priest died. But whenever that happened, that was when everybody went back to their original or that, that everybody, all the debts were erased, everything was free, and then they could go back no more. All the avenger of blood um, vendettas were wiped clean. So verse 21 um, and 22, you guys, we're, we're going we're gonna to skip it. I want you guys can read it again. The city of the Levites is it's just a lot of um, borders and names I can't pronounce and um, not, not a ton of uh, nuggets and stuff in there. But basically, just so you guys know in a nutshell, that the, the Levites of the 12 tribes of Israel, the Levites were not given an inheritance. They were given cities in certain places. And so um, as the, the 12 tribes of Israel ended up, the way that it, it went down, as you guys know, right, the tribes ended up in the north and the south. Okay, this is something you'll need to know. You need to kind of have this in your back pocket at some point. You'll need this information. But 10 tribes of Israel settled in the north and two tribes in the south, Dan and Judah in the south. But then the tribe of Levi would have had some cities in there. So technically, um, the 10 in the north, the two in the south, but, but the, with the tribe of Levi kind of mixed in um, both parts. The 10 northern tribes never had a good king. The 10 northern tribes were known as Israel or the northern tribes. The, the southern two southern tribes were known as Judah. And, and they had good kings in Judah, and they never had a good king in the ten northern tribes. The ten northern tribes were the first ones to rebel against the Lord and all kinds of trouble in the north. But they broke up um, ten and twelve. And the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe, was not given um, an inheritance. They were just to be taken care of by the other tribes. And then um, in chapter 23, it says, Now it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua was old and advanced in years. Remember we read that already about Joshua once, that Joshua was old. He's going to tell us again in chapter 24 that he's old. And so there was, there was rest. There was the real Valhalla where they, they had conquered and now they were resting and, and building and um, still work to be done. Not, not to say that the 300,000 square acres that God gave them was, was already conquered. It never was conquered, as we know, right? The most they ever got was 10% of that. So there were still lands to be conquered, but there was peace. There was peace where they were, where they were building, and where, you know, they could venture out and go to these places, which they never really did, which they should have done. But they, there was peace. It was a place of peace. In verse 3, it says, You have seen all the Lord your God has done to all those nations because, you, because of you, for the Lord your God is he who fought for you. Who fought for him? Again, we talk about that a lot, right? It's God that fights for us. Who fights for you? How many of you guys are tired of fighting? <laughs> I'm tired of fighting, man. Shut up. Quit whining. You don't fight anyways. God fights for you. Quit your whining. God fights for you. Just get out there and do it. God will fight for you. See, I have divided to you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from the Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off as far as the great sea westward. What's the great sea westward? The Mediterranean. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out for your, of your sight. So you shall possess their land as the Lord your God promised you. Now, you know, one of the things is the, 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 the covenant that God made with Abraham concerning this land. It was a, it was a covenant, several types of covenants that God makes. But this particular covenant, it was an unconditional covenant. God said he was going to do it. Do you remember when God made the covenant? He told Abraham to split the bull in between two. And then Abraham was was there and the crows were coming. And Abraham spent all day passing between trying to get the crows there and waiting for God to come and make the covenant. Well, then Abraham falls asleep. And when, when Abraham is asleep, God shows up and, and he confirms the covenant and everything is done. And Abraham wakes up, it's all done. The bull's cooked, everything's done. And, and part of the symbolism is that in this particular covenant, Abraham was not needed or necessary because it was an unconditional covenant. And so, um, you know, we might think then why did, why does the, the nation of Israel, why did they struggle? Why did they go into captivity if it was unconditional? But what we see is that God always returns to the people, to the land. And so the, the, you know, the Babylonians came in and conquered. The, the Assyrians came in and conquered. The Romans came in and conquered. 
and, and the Muslims came in and conquered in the last 2,000 years, the Turks and everybody else that, you know, from AD 70, um, New Testament stuff that came in and conquered. But again, where are we today? The nation of Israel is returned to the land. And so that, that part of the covenant is unconditional. But again, there, there, there's a, a responsibility upon the people to possess the land that God gave them. You know, I have a friend who's um, very liberal that was um, one of my best friends in high school. And um, we, we all often have uh, interesting debates. We don't often have because we don't talk to each other very much because it's never pleasant anymore. But um, one time something came up on Facebook and um, my friend Mike Clem. You guys ever heard of Layrite? It's a hair product. Nobody's ever heard of Layrite? No? You guys got to get out more. How about you, Mike? You use Layrite? No, no lay right for you. Anyways, my buddy, Mike Clem from high school, he, uh, he, um, that's his product, his company, but you'll see it in the stores and stuff. But Mike Clem was like, so the question came up about Israel and, um, Mike's like, and me and Jeff got on there. Mike's like, Oh, this is going to be good. You know, between these two going back and forth. But, you know, he, he, he was telling me that, you know, basically his claim was that because, because God says, so the land belongs to Israel. And that the, the Palestinians were there and, you know, you can't just say, oh, because God says so. And I told him on there, I said, well, let, let, let's just, you know, whose land is it? I said, well, let's just take us, for example. Okay, what if today somebody came in and all the Americans were, were kicked out of the United States? And for 2,000 years, by miracle, we managed to maintain our identity as Americans, our language, our cultural, our culture, our, our bloodlines, our, our language, we kept all that intact somehow for 2,000 years being spread all over the world. And then some psychopath gathered 60 million of us and murdered us in gas chambers. And then as a result, the world felt sorry for us and they let us come back to a pretty much a desolate land, the United States. And when we got here, there was other folks that were here that said we were here first. Whose land would it be? Would it be ours or theirs? Who was really here first? You know, I mean, like the, yeah, all right. So their land, verse number six, it says, therefore, be very courageous to keep. And I love this, that Joshua, the book of Joshua begins and ends with the same call to be courageous in verse six, to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. Okay, this is a biblical um, phrase you'll see oftentimes to turn to the right or turn to the left. Basically, if you turn to the right or the left, you think, well, if I turn to the right, I'm doing right. No, that's not what it means. Because right is straight and narrow. Right is walking a straight path, walking down the straight and narrow, and don't turn to the right or don't turn to the left. And then he says, unless you go among these nations, these who remain among you, you shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them, nor bow down to them. So verse 7 is kind of important because this is a biblical concept that you should understand is that God said it's concerning the other gods. He doesn't even want you to make mention of them. He doesn't want you to know them. He doesn't even want us to talk about them because they're, they're not gods in the first place. And it's even culturally, I think sometimes as Christians, like, you know, we, we should be naive, the Bible says. Paul tells us we should be naive. You shouldn't know what the latest, greatest rap song is and, you know, nasty TV program that's on TV and this and that. And, you know, it's good. If you're really naive about the world and all these popular new things going on in the world, then that's, that's a good thing. Because the Bible tells us that, that we're not, you know, to follow those things and keep up on them. We're not even to name the other gods. He tells the people, you're not even to name them. You're not even to mention them. You're not even to talk about them. And then he says in verse eight, but you shall hold fast to the Lord, your God, as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out from before you a great and strong nations. But as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand for the Lord. Your God is he who fights for you as he promised um, in verse number 10. How would you like, how would you like to live that? One of you will put to flight a thousand. You girls, you're not going to get this, right? But some of us guys, we might, you know. You're standing there. There's a thousand guys on the other side, and it's a duel. And you go, and you start running at them, and all thousand of them start running. Like, pretty good, right? Like, that feel pretty good. And that's what God says is going to happen. One of you will put to flight a thousand. There's another verse along these lines that says, one of you will put to flight a thousand, and two of you will put to flight. Do the math. 
2,000. That's English. I mean, that's our math. But the, the verse actually says one of you will put to flight 1,000 and two of you will put to flight 10,000, which is kind of cool because God, when you put God math on it, God does things different than we do. And one will put to flight 1,000 and two will put to flight 10,000. And in verse 11, it says, Therefore, take careful heed to yourself that you love the Lord your God. I always point this out when we find it in the Old Testament because um, people try to make two gods, one God of the New Testament and one God of the Old Testament. And the God of the Old Testament is a tyrant who's quick to judge and quick to turn you into a crispy critter. And um, the God of the New Testament is a God of love. But the reality is that the God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God's heart for his people and for you and for I, from Adam and Eve to Revelation, from Genesis to Revelation for all time, is that we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul and that, that God's heart was relationship and love even then. And he said, take heed that you love the Lord your God. And let, love covers a multitude of sins. And love is the one aspect of life that, that will motivate you in every other area of God. If you really love God and, and you really want to bless God, then you're, you, know, you don't have to focus on your sin. You don't have to focus on that mountain that I talked about that you've been going around and around and trying to focus on how can I get better, how can I get better. And we're constantly focused on the sin. Well, if you stop focusing on the sin and what you're doing, but just focus on loving God, then the rest takes care of itself. You know, people ask me all the time because they know my testimony and, you know, I'll say, how did, how did you get clean? And how did you, did you go to rehab? Did you do this? Did you do that? And, um, you know, I, I often tell them, you know, that it's kind of a lame answer, but I say, Jesus, just Jesus. Well, you know, maybe, maybe uh, Maybe a little help. Just Jesus doesn't really help people sometimes, you know. But the reality is I did. I just fell in love with Jesus. I started reading the Word. I started growing. And the more I wanted to please God, the more I wanted to love God, the more I was falling in love with the Lord my God, I just didn't want to do those things anymore. They just started, God just started falling off. It wasn't that I couldn't do them. It wasn't just, I didn't want to do them. I just was moving in a different direction. And I didn't want to do those things anymore. It says in verse 12, Or else, if indeed you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, that these remain that these remain among you and make marriages with them and go into them and they, and they to you know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. So again, a warning about going back and, and you better believe that that's valid for you today. You go back to those things, there's a warning against that. Behold, this day I am going the way of the earth. What does that mean? I mean, you're going to die. So I'm going the way of all the earth. So, you know, it doesn't. it's not like some kind of new age weird thing way of saying. Basically, you know, the, the stats are still the same, right? Ten out of every ten people, they die. People die. It's a fact of life. It's a reality of life. It's one of the reasons why I, I don't know, I have a different perspective about life and about death. And, you know, oftentimes it, it, it does trouble me a little bit. It does perplex me a little bit to see people so devastated about death. And, and again, I, don't, I, I try not to be insensitive. I've dealt with death close to me. I understand that it's difficult. But th- there needs to be, right? Is there some part of us that just realizes people die? My Uncle Henry is an amazing person. He lives in Pico Rivera. He's 95 years old. Uncle Henry is, he was, a, he was a concrete contractor his whole life. And just the other day, there was a call that um, Uncle Henry was, was, was feeling really bad and having a bad time. And the freak out in my family over Uncle Henry. And I'm like, am I just got a black heart? Like the dude's 95 years old. Like, you know, and yeah, I'm not his daughter or his son and, you know, no doubt there's grieving, but I'm like, let him go home. It's all right. It's cool. Like, don't freak out. Guess what's going to happen to Uncle Henry? Whether it's today or tomorrow or in five years or 10 years, guess what's going to happen to him? Unless Jesus comes back, he's going to go like Joshua, the way of the earth. The way of all the earth. And what Joshua means is that by that is that all the folks in the earth before him, everybody who's lived the way of the earth, I'm going to go the way of the earth. That's the way it is. People die. I'm approaching that point in my life. Um, Let me just, again, kind of deviate here for just a quick second. It's good for us to have conversations about death. 
okay? You know, one of the things you see, another thing that I, I think is just not wise, and, and hopefully it's not as prevalent among Christian people, but, you know, somebody's sick and they're dying and their family members won't talk about it. You know, I dealt with a case here in Tooele and, and the woman had pancreatic cancer, stage four pancreatic cancer. You know how many people have died from that type of cancer? 100%. Liz was just telling me, I think she heard of one case documented of somebody who survived that type of cancer. Same cancer that killed Lydia's mom. And when we researched it, there was no known cases of somebody who had survived that particular type of cancer. And she had that type of cancer. And so unless God does an absolute bona fide miracle, she was going to, and she was a Christian. She loved Jesus. She was going to go home. And, and her family wouldn't prepare for death because they didn't want to face it. They were saying, oh, no, 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 we're not going to say that. We're not going to go there. We're not going to talk about that. We're not going to deal with it. And I'm like, no, you need to deal with it. You need to prepare. And God may do a miracle. Let's, let's, let, let's let God do a miracle. Okay, great. Then we can throw the papers away and do all this stuff. But we can talk about it. You guys should have a living will. You should have um, an idea of, of you know, where you're go- things are going to happen to you. Tell your husband, tell your wife what you want done with you. Lydia knows exactly what. She's not going to do it, but <laughs> she already told me. She's like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I was like, all right, whatever. I don't care. I'll be dead. <laughs> just tell me you will now and do what you want when I die. But, um, but just knowing and talking about those things, having a will, even a living will, even something that, that, that you prepare because 10 out of 10 people die. And it's okay to talk about it. And, and if we're Christians, there's, there's a hope in it anyways. There's a, right. There's a, there's a hope in it. All right. I still got a whole chapter to do. Um, we got to move on. You guys, we got to move on. Sorry. So verse 14 says, behold, this day I'm going all the way of the earth and you know in all your heart and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for for you. Not one word of them has failed. That's a biblical principle. Not one word about New Testament concerning this says not one jot or tittle will pass away or will fail. Therefore, it shall come to pass that as all the good Things have come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you. So the Lord will bring you upon all harmful things until he has destroyed you from this good land, which the Lord your God has given you. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you and you shall perish quickly from the good land, which he has given you. So we have tons of if clauses in the Bible. Okay. If you do this, God will bless you. But if you do this, then you will face the consequences of your actions. And that's, that's just a biblical principle in life. So many times, you know, people, people disobey God, they disobey God, they disobey God, they disobey God. And then they face the, the, you know, not, and again, the way it works, as you guys know, God's not punishing them. It's a natural response. It's a natural reaction to their action. It's a natural consequence. If you get on the roof and you jump off the roof, there's a natural law. It's called what? Gravity. And it doesn't think for itself. It just behaves, right? No matter how many times I do this, law, gravity doesn't like decide whether it's going to work or not, right? Gravity just does what it does. And, and God has set sin and parts of sin the same way. There's a natural um, law that's in place. And so we disobey God. We walk away from God. We jump off the roof. And then we're on the ground with legs broken. And what do we do? God, why are my legs broken? You must hate me. No, I don't hate you. You jumped off the roof, dummy, and now you got two broken legs. Like it makes, you know, like, and it is just a reality that, that God doesn't want that. And matter of fact, not only did he not break your legs, but he put his son in, in your way to prevent you from, from, from breaking your legs, prevent you from making those decisions. He's given you his word. He's given you his Holy Spirit. He's given you his counsel. And, 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 but there's times where we, that, that we just have to listen to that counsel. Okay, now chap, uh, chapter 24. I shouldn't have uh, took a lot of time to rush through 24 because 24 is, the, is so good. Okay. Um, so 24 is the covenant of Shechem. It's, it's the choose and the choice. Um, probably a verse. I have it at my house. Maybe some of you guys have it at your house. Verse 15 says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
And then in verse 24 or 24, 15, again, is what it says that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord is a, um, is the, is on top of, you know, it's outside of our houses. I have it in my house, big, big sign there. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But Joshua is going the way of all the earth. He's going to gather the congregation of Israel together. And basically he's going to put a choice before them. So it says, then Joshua gathered all the tribes. How many of the tribes? All the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for the he- their heads and their judges and their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people of Israel, thus says the Lord God of Israel. So this is an Old Testament thing that you'll see sometimes where it says, thus says the Lord. And so whenever you see that, thus says the Lord, that's, that's, that's bond. That's God is about to speak. It's the word of God. You know, even in prophecy, sometimes we have the gift of prophecy today. And, you know, some folks will give a prophecy and they'll say, you know, thus saith the Lord. And that, that's pretty serious. You know, if somebody says, thus saith the Lord, before they give a prophecy or a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, then, I mean, it better be right. And it better be biblical and it better hold it the, the test of, of, of the spirits because it, it's got to be accurate at that point. It's like probably, you know, it's, it's the most um, highest level thing that you could say, thus says the Lord, and then you begin to prophesy. But this is a thus say it the Lord. You know, there's other times where it's like, you know, we'll say something and I'll say, well, it's not necessarily a thus say it the Lord, but it's, you know, Paul even did that, right? Paul at one point said, um, I'm speaking to you now, not necessarily from the Lord, but from me, this is my advice to you. That's not a thus saith the Lord, but it's just advice from the apostle. And so here Joshua says, thus saith the Lord, your fathers included Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nahor dwelt on the other side of the river in old times and they served other gods. And so, um, you're going to notice all these eyes, 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 eyes in the next couple of chapters. But Joshua basically is going to rehearse for them some of their history. And it's always important for us to remember our history. And um, Stephen, Acts chapter 7, basically does the same thing. He repeats their history. But in verse 3, it says, Then I took your father Abraham, talking about God, because oh, the Lord is speaking here, from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. To Isaac, I, who's I in in all this stuff? God, right? I gave Jacob and Esau to Esau. I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also, I sent Moses and Aaron. And I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward, somebody. I brought out, brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt and you came to see, came to the sea and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord and he, capital H, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time and I brought you into the land of the Amorites who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan and they fought with you. But I gave them into your hand that you may might possess their land and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. You guys remember that story, a great story. Therefore, he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the man of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. But I delivered them into your hand, which drove them out from before you. Also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. I have given you the land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build. Did Obama take a page out of this one or what? And you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves, which you did not plant. And so, again, just just the concept that, that God is the one who does the things in our life. And so Joshua is going to rehearse for the people all that God had done for them. 
And then he's going to say, now, therefore, so that therefore in verse 14, um, you know, for me, like God delivered me from a, 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 a surefire prison death or, 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 or life of bondage. And God delivered me from the streets, from the, the depths of hell. And he saved me and he brought me out of hell. And, and he's given me a life. He's given me a hope. He's given me a future. He brought me to Bible college. He, he brought me a beautiful wife. He brought me three beautiful sons. And then later he gave us a beautiful daughter. God's given us, he, he brought us to Tooele and he's done an amazing work in our lives. He's given us a, a, a wonderful folks and, and church and he's done so many amazing things in my life. Therefore, choose this day. And so, you know, even in your own life, it's, it's, you think about yourself. You think about what God has done in your life for you. You think about where God has brought you. And that's kind of the point that God is making because this is God speaking here. This isn't Joshua preaching a sermon. This is him prophesying and God shows up and in God's wisdom from his own mouth, what does God think it wise to do? To remind the people what he had done in their lives because we're so fickle and how easily we forget what God has done and where God has brought us from and where God wants to bring us to. And Joshua says, look what God has done in your life. And for me personally, as I reflect on it, you know, I, I, I am so amazingly blessed by God. You know, I think of this latest blessing in Lydia and I's life. And I tease people sometimes, you know, you folks sometimes. And I say, you know, when God wants to bless you, like you find like a $20 bill on the ground. And you look around and there's nobody. It's just yours. And you pick it up and you're like, wow, God bless me. God loves me. When God wants to bless me, he gives me a human being. <laughs> the most beautiful little baby girl you've ever seen in your life. But, you know, just, just, just not even able to believe that, that the blessing of God giving us a human, a life, somebody that, you know, not only just a human, a life, but a life that is so perfect and so beautiful and so perfect for our family. And, you know, and to reflect on that and say, and that brings us to verse 14. That's the therefore in verse 14. Therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in the sanctuary and in truth and put away the gods, which are the fathers, which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwelt. And we'll get to the end of verse 15 here in a second. But, you know, I kind of like this. And, and again, it's not me. It's, it's Bible. But I, I think sometimes the reality is that God said... Joshua tells the people, look, if you think it's evil to serve God, if it's so troublesome for you to walk with the Lord, then Joshua says, go serve the other gods. It's cool. If you think it's so terrible, he, and he gives them an out here. He says, look, if you, if you don't want to serve God, don't serve God. Don't serve God begrudgingly. Don't serve God halfway. Don't serve God with all your excuses and all your, your lameness. God, he says, look, just put it away. Elijah told the people the same thing in the, in the amazing battle on Mount Carmel, Elijah, one prophet of God against 450 prophets of Baal led by one of the most wicked women that ever walked planet earth, a, a wicked queen of Israel named Jezebel. And Elijah says to the people that day, listen, if Baal is God, serve him. If, if, if that, if those things in your life are God, go for it, man, do it. But if the Lord is God, then serve him. And, and what's read into that is that if the Lord is God, then serve him like he's God. Serve him all the way. Serve him with all your heart. Serve him fully. Stop going back and forth between Baal and the Lord. And that was the ultimatum that, that, that Elijah gave on Mount Carmel was quit vacillating. And that's, that's very similar to what Joshua, as Joshua gathers the nation here and he says, listen, who do you want to serve? And then in the end of 15, he says, but as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. How many of you guys agree with that? How many of you guys are taking that back to your house? As for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. So listen, this is, this is really cool. We'll be done in a minute here. It says, so, so the people answered and said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord, our God is he who brought us out of 
brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage who, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord for he is our God. So, so the people responded. Joshua says, here's the choice. Who are you going to serve? Stop serving two gods. And if you're going to serve the Lord God, then serve him right. And put away your other gods. What's your choice? And the people said, yes, we're, we're going to serve the Lord. How, how could we serve anything else? And then Joshua said to all the people, no, you, you cannot serve the Lord. For he is the holy God. Now, it just doesn't make any sense. Joshua challenges them. Who are you going to serve? Serve the Lord. Me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Who do you want to serve? You're right, Joshua. We're going to serve the Lord. And he says, Joshua says to them, no, you can't serve the Lord. So why would Joshua challenge them? And then as soon as they, they commit, Joshua's answer to them is no. Joshua said to them, you cannot serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done, after he has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. So why, why did Joshua say that? Because of idols. Because, they, because he didn't want to accept lip service from them. And God doesn't want to accept lip service from us. You know, there's another thing that, you know, oftentimes, you know, really as Christians, you, you know, hold, hold somebody's feet to the fire, or hold your feet to the fire. Jesus said, by your fruits, you will be known. John the Baptist wasn't messing around. What was John the Baptist's message? He said, not only repent, but he said, show fruits worthy of repentance. John said, I don't care. Don't, don't tell me you repent. Shut up. Show me fruit. Show me a lifestyle that's changed. You, you give lip service, but then you go and you continue to live like hell. And Joshua says, that's not going to fly, people. So, yeah, you guys are here now. You're emotional. You know, it's a big day. I've already, I just told you I'm going to go all the way. I'm going to go the way of all the earth. I'm going to die. I gave you this big speech. I rehearsed for you your history. And then I challenge you. But you only want to give lip service. But you know what's going on right now in, in the hearts of these people? Their houses were full of idols. And Joshua knew that they were going to return to those idols. And he wanted to be very serious with them as John the Baptist was when he said, show fruits worthy of repentance. Don't give lip service to God. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I command. You know, I just share with you guys that story all the time. But, you know, and I'll just numb it down. But, you know, I knew somebody who would pray like this. Oh, Jesus, I love you. I'm not kidding. I love you, Jesus. I love God. Oh, I love Jesus. Jesus, I love you. And then live their life like hell. And it just got like, I didn't want, like, do you want to sit there and listen to someone pray and tell God how much they love him and then watch him live like hell? Like, stop lying. I'm not, I don't want to pray with you anymore. Because you raise your hands and you tell God how much you love him, but you live your life like hell. And God can see through that. That's irony. And, and that's basically what Joshua is saying. You know, because of that, I, I, to this day, I very seldomly in prayer say to God, God, I love you. Any of you guys familiar with Pastor Terry in Calvary Chapel? Oh my gosh, you ever heard that guy pray? Lord, we love you a lot. He says it every time he prays. I always give him a hard time every time I see him. Hey, Pastor Terry, I love you a lot. <laughs> Lord, I love you a lot. Which is cool, cool, it's his thing. But for me, because of that bad experience as a young Christian, I, I, just, I didn't want to be that person and I didn't want to go around saying, oh Lord, I love you. Unless... My life reflected that. And then that's, that's Joshua's point. Like you, you say you want to serve the Lord, but show fruits worthy of repentance. Do something in your life. Step out. And Joshua knew. Now there's a, there's a verse in the Bible, real quick, we'll end with this. And it says that if you, if you don't get rid of the idols in your life, when you pray, listen, when you pray and you think that God is speaking to you, actually, it's your idols that are speaking to you. That's scary. But it's true. Lydia, Lydia, Lydia can, can testify. But as a pastor, as a pastor's wife, there's times where folks will say things to us like this. After lots of counsel. 
well, yeah, we, we went and, you know, Lydia and I counseled him about something to go home, ch- seek God for it. They come back and they say, we say, did you talk to God? Did, did, did dad talk to you? And they say, oh yeah, we, we prayed and, 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 you know, we really, really got an answer from God. And God said that we don't have to forgive those people. Somebody's lying here and it ain't God. But that, that's, that, that's that verse that, that Ezekiel tells us that, that our, our, our idols, and they, they mean it, they're sincere in their heart. Because if you don't get rid of the idols in your life, those idols will begin to speak to you, the Bible says. And that's scary. So you have something that's an idol. You know, I'm not talking about little statues in your life. What's the idol in your life? You know, what, what, what's between you and God? Is it a relationship? Is it, um, is it money? Is it cars? Is it, um, is it whatever? Is it drugs? Is it alcohol? Is it, is it you know, lust? What, whatever you're, the thing that separates you between God. And if you don't get rid of those idols in your life, then as you seek God, you feel, you feel a peace about, you know, doing it. And that's just one extreme case. But you hear it all the time where folks tell you, well, you know, I know, but, you know, I've, I've talked to God about it and, and I just feel peace. I just feel like I can. Well, well, the Bible says that's not God talking to you. First of all, you, you should know it's God, not God talking to you because it's contrary to what God's word says. God's word says you have to forgive. So I politely, tactfully and very honestly told those folks, God didn't tell you that. You have to forgive. And you didn't hear the voice of God because God would never tell you that, that you don't have to forgive. The other one we get all the time is the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked together with non-believers." And we have these girls or boys come in. Oh, I know he's not a believer, but God told me it's okay. Shut up. God didn't tell you that. God didn't tell you that. Your idol told you that. So, so, so again, I, I don't want to make this all negative. That's not the point. I, I want it to be I want it to be encouraging that we really want to say, I will walk with the Lord. I want to choose the Lord in my life. But again, you know, one of the first evangel- evangelistic crusades I went to was a guy named Miles McPherson. Miles McPherson used to play for the San Diego Chargers. And then Miles McPherson to this day, he has a mega church. Not a mega church. He's got a pretty big church in San Diego. And um, in, the, in those days, Miles McPherson was just getting started out. He had this thing. It was like a miniature Greg Laurie thing. It was called Miles Ahead. And it was, it was, it was in the early days. So I'm talking 1996, seven, it was for, um, primarily geared towards youth. And so I went as, um, a new believer I was already saved and miles McPherson gave an altar call. And, and in this altar call, a bunch of people started coming forward, but before they did, the guy spent like five minutes and I so appreciated it. I thought it was so cool. I never heard nobody do it. Usually we're trying to really just beg people and talk people into coming up. But he was, doing, he was doing such an amazing job of telling people why they shouldn't come. And he was telling them, don't come if you're coming for the wrong reasons. Don't come if it's phony. Don't come if it's this. And, you know, and, and he laid it all out. And he wanted people to come, but he wanted them to come for the right reasons. And then when they did come, there was a sincere change in their heart. There was a real move of God's spirit. And again, I think that's, that's the heart of Joshua. That's the heart of the message here in 24 is God does want you to respond. God does want you to choose him, but he doesn't want you to choose him with lip service. He doesn't want you to choose him for the wrong reasons. You got to want to serve him for the right reasons. You got to deal with the idols in your life because it's dangerous. It's scary. Should put chills on the back of your neck to think that if you keep an idol in your life and you pray to God, God says, that's not me talking to you. You think it's me. But it's the idol talking into your life. So we've got to get rid of those idols. Let's, let's finish this chapter briefly, quickly. Um, just kind of read through it, skim through it, and we'll be done. And he says, um, verse 23, he says, Now therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you, and incline your hearts to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. And Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and made for them a statue and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words of the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and he set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness to us. You guys are like, I know Joshua was getting old and senile, but really a rock that was going to be a witness? How is a rock a witness? That rock don't see nothing. It's a stone. Remember what Jesus said in the New Testament? He told the Pharisees that if, if they pro- prohibit his, his disciples from crying out, that these very stones will cry out. These very rocks will cry out. 
And the Lord told Joshua to set up this stone as a witness, for it has heard all the words of the Lord, which he spoke to us, and it shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your, your God. So Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance. And now it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him with the, with the border of his inheritance at Timnath, Sarah, which is in the mountains of Ephraim, in the north side of the Mount of Gerash, and Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel and the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt. They buried at Shechem in the plot of ground, which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver and which had become an inheritance of the children of Joseph. You guys ready? We're about to finish Joshua. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him in the hill belonging to Phineas and Ferb, his son, <laughs> which was given to him in the mountains of Ephraim. Amen? Next week, Judges. Actually, next week, we're not in Judges. Next week is part two of the prophecy update. So if you came um, and you enjoyed that, then that's next week. So we just, again, invite you guys to come back next week. But it will be a video prophecy update um, next Wednesday night. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for Joshua, who um, is is a type of Jesus, who is the Old Testament form and uh, of Jesus and who who represents Jesus, who led the people into the promised land. And even the name Joshua is the, the Old Testament name that, that the New Testament name is Jesus. And so, Lord, we thank you for this book of Joshua, this book of conquest and Lord, this challenge to, to, to step out and possess the things that you have given us, Lord, and to possess our possessions. And God, you've given us so much. And I know like the children of Israel who only ever um, conquered 10% of what you gave them, I, I believe in our lives, maybe it's even less than that. We just, we, we, we don't conquer, Lord, what you've, you've put before us to conquer. And I pray that we would, Lord. I pray, Father, that we'd be inspired, that we'd put away the idols in our lives, Lord God, that we, we would stop vacillating and, Lord, that we would serve you with whole heart and with true um, life that, of loving Jesus. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.